everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. I like a good serial killer documentary. He hasn't taken the pounding that wide receivers take. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I would be lying to you if I said I had not heard things. They're like a bad rash. You hear a lot of things. Some are true, some aren't. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. Middle portion of the week. The Senior Bowl ongoing in Mobile, Alabama. We'll check in with Mobile, Alabama. My buddy Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com is... I believe Ryan gets the distinction of being our first draft guest of the year. Normally, this is something we've done around Halloween here in Jacksonville because they've been awful. Then Thanksgiving, certainly by the new year, but at least the late season collapse happened late in the season. So we didn't have to do draft talk up until now. But with the Senior Bowl going on, we will have a draft guy or two every week up until the draft, and that kicks off tonight. Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft. I want to do a little bit different, though, with Ryan to start out. We'll obviously talk about this year's class, um, the good positions, the bad positions, his overall thoughts. But I do want to spend some time on the Jaguar young players. This is what Ryan does. It's, he covers the draft year in and year out. So I want to talk about Trayvon Walker. And I want to talk about Devin Lloyd and Anton Harrison. And yeah, I want to ask him about Brenton Strange and Tank Bigsby and Yasir Abdullah and the rookie class of last year. So we'll do a lot of Jaguar draft-related stuff with Ryan Roberts. That comes up in less than an hour from now, right around the top of the 9 o'clock hour. Coming up in less than 20 minutes, Mike Gennetti. Who's Mike Gennetti, you say? Well, he is the founder of the website SpotTrack. And SpotTrack this time of year is a goldmine, a resource for football fans when it comes to contracts, salary cap situations, dead cap money, contract projections, you name it. Mike Gennetti does an absolutely fantastic job with SpotTrack. They've been doing it now on that website for 17 years. Hard to believe that. And every year, or usually about twice a year, I get Mike on to kind of do a deep dive into the Jaguar offseason. And that's what we're going to do coming up in less than 20 minutes. What does he think Josh Allen's contract number will be? What should it be? What are the Jaguars going to do about Calvin Ridley? How do the other wide receivers on the free agent market affect what's going to happen with Calvin Ridley? What about Trevor Lawrence and his contract situation? After year three, he's eligible for an extension. How many veterans might get shown the door to save cap money for the Jags. I know the thought is a lot of them might. I would pump the brakes on that, at least include, you know, talking to Gennady at Spot Track. He doesn't necessarily feel that way. So Jaguar fans, I think you'll get an interesting thought on kind of the blueprint of the offseason when it comes to finances, salary cap, and all that in relation to the Jaguars. 
Mike Gennetti, the founder of Spot Track, comes up in less than 20 minutes. And that's actually where I do want to begin tonight because every night here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So, we are 40 days away from the start of the NFL League calendar. 40 days. Monday, March the 11th is when negotiations can begin. Free agents can officially sign Wednesday, March the 13th. Prior to that, the franchise tag will be placed on players around the league. One would think that Josh Allen is a prime candidate for that here in Jacksonville. And obviously before that as well, in mid to late February and early March, players will want to re-sign their own guys prior to that March 11th date to keep them off the free agent market. So even though the Super Bowl is still 10 days away, 11 days away, and even though it seems like it's a long way out until decisions have to be made with the roster, it's really not. Again, 40 days from today. Less than six weeks, NFL free agency. And prior to that, you're going to have the franchise tag. You're going to have guys re-signing. There's going to be a lot going on. Which brings me to Jacksonville. We are at day 24 now since the ending of the biggest collapse in franchise history. The loss to the Tennessee Titans that knocked the Jaguars out of the playoffs. And conventional thinking among Jaguar fans and Jaguar media, most of us, is that there are some pretty significant changes coming to this roster. I still believe that. Although I will tell you, in the conversation I had with the fellows at Spot Track today, I maybe have a little more question about that than I did beforehand. I'll be interested when you hear the conversation to tell me your thoughts. But let's assume that we're right. Let's assume there is going to be some significant roster turnover. My question to you is what do they need to improve and do they have the finances in order to improve it? Let's begin offensively. Offensively, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, they're all going to be here. Zay Jones, I don't know. A lot of injuries last year. You could save a little bit of money by releasing Zay Jones. I think his future as a Jaguar is in question. Calvin Ridley's future is in significant question because if they franchise tag Josh Allen, which they will if they can't get a deal done prior to the tag deadline, and Ridley hits the market, he's going to be a highly sought-after free agent. Now, the free agent wide receiver crop is pretty good, but the thought is up in Indianapolis they're going to franchise tag Michael Pittman There's at least some conversation in Cincinnati that they may franchise tag T. Higgins. Mike Evans will be available. Buccaneers are likely not to franchise him. But he would be the only one better than Ridley if both Pittman and Higgins get franchised. So Ridley will have a market. Ridley will get some money thrown at him, no question about it. So potentially, potentially, what we thought was the biggest position of strength coming into 2023 
the wide receiver room, which we never really saw mature because of all the injuries, potentially you could be without Zay Jones via salary cap issues, and you could be without Calvin Ridley, who might leave in free agency. There's certainly a plausible thought that both of those things could happen. So you will need to do something at wide receiver. Because if Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley are both gone, that leaves you with Christian Kirk and not a lot else. Parker Washington, Tim Jones, Elijah Cooks. Remember, Agnew is a free agent too. So wide receiver, there's going to be some change there. There will be some addition to that room. Can we afford to release Cam Robinson? You save something ridiculous, like $16, $17 million simply by releasing Cam Robinson. But if you do that, are you not cutting your best offensive lineman? Who's your starting left tackle if you cut Cam Robinson? Is it Walker Little? All right. Is it Anton Harrison? That's where I think it might end up landing. And if you move Harrison from right tackle to left tackle, do you feel comfortable putting Walker Little back at right and have your bookend tackles, hypothetically, be Anton on the left side and Walker Little on the right side? And the ironic thing is tackle is the best position of any of the offensive linemen. Guard center guard is a huge problem that needs to be addressed. Has Brandon Sheriff played his last game in Jacksonville, potentially? Luke Fortner? The Jaguars are giving him every opportunity imaginable. Every opportunity imaginable. But I just don't see it after two years. I think Luke's good enough to be on the roster. As I said last week, he's one of my best 10 offensive linemen. I don't want him as my starting center. And at left guard, Ezra Cleveland is also scheduled to be a free agent. The guy you brought in from Minnesota. And what if I were to tell you there is a thought that Ezra Cleveland potentially could get paid on the open market? Maybe pricing himself outside the Jaguars' future plans. Could potentially have some issues on the O-line, man. Depending if you cut Cam to save money, that could be a big question mark. Defensively, Rayshon Jenkins, has he played his last game as a Jaguar? Is Antonio Johnson ready to step in and start for him alongside Andre Sisco? You could save a lot of money by cutting Darius Williams. But if you do that, very similar to Cam, then you have issues in the secondary. And then on the interior defensive line, Foley Fadakasi, Adam Gotsis, Dewan Smoot. There's going to be some turnover there. For the life of me, I cannot imagine a scenario where this Jaguar roster doesn't look markably different than it did 24 days ago, and it needs to. Last year, Trent Baalke decided to run it back. And yeah, at his press conference, he says he doesn't want to live in the past. That's nonsense. The only people that say that are people that have failed in their past, which is what Trent Baalke did last year as this team's GM. You don't want to talk about the past. You don't want to live in the past. Well, that's because last year, Trent, you failed. You thought you could run it back. 
you thought you could have the same basic guys on your team, and you went from nine and eight in 2022 to nine and eight in 2023. But one thing Trent Baalke said last week was true. They were nine and eight. They were not three and fourteen. Although it's felt like that in the last three and a half weeks, the way the season ended, this team did win more games than they lost in 2023. So I do not believe you need to make wholesale changes. You don't need to throw out the farm and bring in all new pieces. I don't believe that. But I believe you need to move some pieces. I believe you need to be far more active this year than you were a year ago which would not be difficult seeing as how they didn't do anything last year. That cannot happen again. It's important to realize 9-8 and eight is still 9-8. and eight. They were in playoff contention, in division title contention, until week 18. So as bad as it has felt, it was not 3-14 and 14 or 5-12. and 12. Having said that, 9-8 is not good enough, particularly where you were 9-8 and eight the year prior. You did not get any better with the same players. And in some positions, you got worse. And as a result, it is going to me to be a much different offseason, player personnel-wise, player movement-wise, in Jacksonville than it was a year ago. And that's a good thing because they cannot stay with the status quo again this year like they did a year ago. It failed last year, do something different this year, and I think you will see some different players come in, and unfortunately, some guys you've grown accustomed to in Jaguar uniforms probably leaving due to salary cap reasons. 641-1010 on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. We will keep you updated on a couple of pretty big games tonight in the world of sports. In fact, they are underway at Rupp Arena. I told Baloo this in the cross, in the uh, two-minute drill there. Um, Florida basketball saved itself on Saturday. If Mike White would have come in from 21 back to beat Florida, that would have been a tough pill for Todd Golden to swallow. Luckily, Florida survived that. Florida's hanging tough right now. 12.51 to go in the first half. They lead Kentucky 14-12, to so they're battling. At Rupp Arena, the Gators 14 and 6, 4 and 3 in the conference. Kentucky 15 and 4, 5 and 2 in the conference. 12 minutes to go. The Gators up a bucket 14 to 12, and we will keep you updated on that. Coming up next, back into the Jaguars. Mike Janetti, the founder of Spot Track. Let's talk Jaguars offseason. Let's talk salary cap. Let's talk contracts. Let's talk Josh Allen. Let's talk Calvin Ridley, and yeah, let's talk Trevor Lawrence. That's next, Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday night in Jacksonville, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, Ryan the Hacker Green here with you. Glad you are with us. All eyes on the Super Bowl coming up next week, but of course... All eyes here in Jacksonville are on the well, the late season collapse, and what are we going to do about it this offseason? With that, free agency is less than 40 days away. 
That means it is spot track time. That is the best website out there for salary cap information. I love it. And their founder is Mike Gennetti. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, how we doing? Busy, but well. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Mike, I know you're busy, and thank you for taking time out. All right, I want to talk about the offseason for the Jags. Let's take a look back, Mike. They were 8-3, and three, man, and for a few hours, they were the number one seed in the AFC, and then it got destroyed in front of our very eyes over the last six weeks. What were your thoughts on the collapse here in Jacksonville? Yeah, it's kind of tough to explain. Everything set up, they kind of – you know, had their own destiny in front of them. And, and for whatever reason, that offensive sputtered. And I think the secondary certainly let them down as well. So you, you're in a situation where Trevor Lawrence went from a slam dunk extension conversation to what the heck we do with this entire offense. And that includes notable free agents and some of your offensive line. And uh, I just think you had deficiencies or, or maybe weaknesses show up for those past six to seven weeks that make this a much more complicated offseason than I think many anticipated it was going to be. There's no doubt about that. And look, let's dive in. And before we do that, I assume most everybody listening knows about Spot Track, Mike. You're the founder of it. But for people that don't, tell them about your website. Again, I think it's the best one out there for this type of information. I appreciate it. Yeah. So we're not just in the NFL, we're tracking uh, professional sports contracts and, and team salary caps and luxury tax hits for pretty much every professional sport uh, we can get our hands on at this point. And that includes. Uh, women's sports and the NHL and soccer and car racing and everything at this point. So uh, certainly this time of year, it's mostly about the NFL and, and running salary cap numbers and projected contracts for free agency. But uh, whatever you, uh, you're into, we're probably tracking it on SpotTrack. Mike Gennetti of SpotTrack. All right, Mike, let's dive in. The two big ones right off the bat. Josh Allen is scheduled to become a free agent. All thoughts are that he won't get out of Jacksonville, whether that means the franchise tag or a re-signing prior to March 11th. Josh Allen, what type of market is he going to have? What type of money do you expect him to get? Yeah, I just finished a sort of a quasi-rankings for these free agents, and he's fourth on my list. So that tells you everything you need to know about where things are headed for Josh Allen financially. Uh, I think that $22 million franchise tag is a no-brainer, at least as a starting and, and quite frankly, I have a feeling that Jacksonville may be privy to let him play that out. Will he? I don't think so. I don't think he's going to sign that because uh, he knows where things are headed. And, and just from a mathematical standpoint, we're talking $25 million a year. So four years, $100 million is what I have his projected contract at right now. So uh, Jacksonville may will play this thing a little bit because, like I said, there's so many now decisions to make. Uh, but this guy's a slam dunk. He has been now for the better part of a couple of years. And uh, there's at least $100 million in his future. Some point in time. If it is four years, a hundred million. If it's roughly twenty-five mil a year, where would that put him among the highest-paid edge rushers in the league? Yeah, top ten, right? I mean, Nick Bosa and those guys are thirty at this point now. T.J. Watson, twenty-seven's the boat, and Joey Bosa is about twenty-seven. So it's in that conversation, uh, six, seventh, I think, without looking at it right now. But uh, I, I don't. I think that's probably where he belongs. I'm not sure it's a reset the market type situation just yet, but. If for whatever reason he does hit the open market, you can bank on him going to the top because there will be 10 to 12 teams immediately in on this guy, and that's always a bidding more price tag. If he hits the open market, there will be riots here in Jacksonville from <laughs> Jaguar fans, I can assure you. Mike Gennetti, the founder of Spot Track, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Calvin Ridley is the more complicated one, Mike. Now, the thought is if you were to get a re-signing of Josh Allen done prior to March 11th, you could then franchise Ridley. 
and then mm-hmm. you would not owe the Falcons a second-round pick if you re-sign him. But if they are not able to re-sign Allen and have to use the tag there, thus Ridley would probably hit the open market, and then it becomes probably an issue for the Jaguars. That's how I see it. That's exactly how I see things. Is is you got to keep this guy around right now because I think you're losing J- Zay Jones off this roster from a cap standpoint. So you're, you're already going to have to replenish this room a little bit as it is. Uh, and I think he showed enough. I know there were some drops and some some missed routes and things like that. But uh, you know that's every team right now reevaluating the 2023. The tag's about 20 million. I've got him worth about 17 to 18 million a year. So we're we're in about the same ballpark if we're talking about that conversation at least through the off season. But to me, it's about keeping him inside of Jacksonville's control for at least a few more months to ascertain what they can do with him from from a long-term standpoint. Again, a lot depends on the franchise tags around the league, but, I mean, the free agent crop is very good, but it could dry up pretty quickly. We'll see about Mike Pittman in Indianapolis. We'll see about T. Higgins in Cincinnati, even Mike Evans in Tampa. What are you hearing about potential franchise tag with those other guys? Because if they get tagged, Ridley will just keep going higher and higher and higher. Exactly. You don't want to be the. You don't want to have a situation where he's the wide receiver on the market. That's for darn sure. Uh, Pittman's a slam dunk franchise tag. I would say T. Higgins is a more, more probably likely, although their cap situation in Cincinnati is certainly desire. Uh, Tampa Bay will not franchise tag Mike Evans because because of what he made last year. It's actually more than what this twenty million tag probably comes in at. So they're going to have to figure out an, either an extension or they're going to have to live with him walking in market in Tampa Bay on March 13th um, so that's a name to have out there for sure but Ridley's going to be in this top five conversation one way or the other so that's why I'm leaning franchise tag with this player which means you've got a lot of work to do on Josh Allen in the next couple of weeks here Mike Gennetti the founder of spot track all right I want to get to some of the dead cap numbers and some of the guys that may end up getting released you mentioned Zay Jones in a moment but let's go to Trevor now I mean Mike we saw last year Justin Herbert got paid after year three Joe Burrow got paid after year three. Trevor did not have a great year three by any stretch of the imagination. Would it be cost effective to pay him now and not wait till after year four? Again, they still control his rights for many years. How do you see this playing out with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville? I don't think so. You know, I thought about it that way as well, right? Should they try to kind of buy low on, on their quarterback right now, just anticipating that he's going to find it over the next two seasons, right? The fourth and the fifth year option. I don't think that's the way to go because either way you're slamming 150 million into this contract early, right? Whether that's a gigantic signing bonus or two signing bonuses over the next two seasons. I, I think I'm still playing this thing. I really do. And I understand that he may have a problem with that. And the agent may, you know, try to try to bring up some situations this off season that are going to hurt some, some feelings, but I, I have a feeling that the best approach here is just to ride this out. You're going to exercise the fifth year option, you know, in the 22s, which, which gives you basically three years of control, right? This year, next year, and the franchise tag in 2026. So there's plenty of money to be had here. I just don't think you can put that 150 fully guaranteed at signing out there right now, which is really what the going rate is knowing that players like Dak and, and others are about to go, you know, reset this thing from the top down again. So it's, it's a, it's a market that won't stop moving. Can you try to sneak in at 48 to 50 right now? And, and maybe that's a value in a couple of seasons. Yes. But I'm just not sure I've seen enough to warrant what it's going to take from a guaranteed standpoint and, and a cash standpoint, immediately speaking to do that right now. Could they give big money to Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence all this off season? 
it's not re- it's not recommended, right? You generally want to stagger as much as possible, uh, but I, certainly it's doable. There's always ways to massage the cap as needed. It, it's really just a cash conversation at that point because all of those positions require a ton of guaranteed at signing right now, just based on the going rates in the markets. So. Um, does the ownership have the amount of cash and want to be able to bleed that much cash up front? Yes, knowing what the, you know who they are, but will they do that? I, I just don't think so. To me, that's a two out of three, maybe even a one out of three conversation where the other player has to play out a franchise tag in 2024. Mike Gennetti, the founder of Spot Track. All right, Mike, let's get to a couple of other unrestricted free agents before we talk about guys that have a big cap number that may be shown the door. Ezra Cleveland, Jamal Agnew, Dewan Smoot. I mean, not not the household names that Ridley and Josh <laughs> Allen are, certainly, but the Jaguars, Trey Herndon's another one, are going to have some decisions to make with some of these guys. What is your thought on a market for a guy like Ezra Cleveland, a market for a guy like Dewan Smoot, if they were to get available on March 11th? Yeah, talk about making a name for yourself, right? Cleveland leaves Minnesota, and why would they trade him in the first place? Well, they didn't want to pay him because they knew this was coming. And certainly when he when he jumped into the onto that Jaguars offensive line, you understood what was happening. It was an upgrade from Walker Little, that left guard spot. Uh, he's a he's a foundationally $14 million player in our system. And where this guard market is going, um, I could see it easily getting to $16 million, $17 million, You know, not unlike what happened with Brandon Sheriff a bunch of, bunch of years back in Washington. So... Um, is he, has he priced himself out of Jacksonville? I'm not sure. Uh, most likely he's going to get a, a real nice offer March 11th in that negotiation window. Uh, but that's a player that just absolutely cruised to a big payday over the past 10 or 10 months or so, especially with that trade to Jacksonville. Jamal Agnew, Dewan Smoot. Now Smoot's got injury concerns and for that matter, yeah. Agnew does as well. Uh, they're, they're fan favorites here, Mike, but I mean, dollars make sense, and is there going to be room to keep guys like that? I don't I don't believe so. It seems like Agnew is one of those guys you can probably replace, uh, maybe not intangibly, but certainly on the field, even in the return market. And you're right, Smoot with the injury stuff, you got to be really conscious of that right now, especially where things are headed from an age standpoint. Uh, he was basically on a minimum salary last year with some slight boosts and per-game bonuses. That's about as much as I'm doing next year as well, making sure that I can protect myself from any injury that could come back in 2024. Mike Gennetti of Spot Track. All right, let's get into the guys that you mentioned, like Zay Jones. The Jaguars don't have a lot of cap room, but, Mike, that could change very quickly if they cut a couple of guys. Uh, Cam Robinson, let's begin there. He's at the top of the list. I think yeah. they saved something ridiculous, like $17 million if they cut him pre-June 1st. I mean, what's your thought there on Cam Robinson's future here in Jacksonville? Every time I, I go on the radio or, or write in an article that they should cut Cam Robinson, he gets another contract. So, <laughs> yeah. so, I, so I'm going to zag this time and say they're, they're, they're actually just going to extend him because they, every time they play without him, they, they're a little, bit not, you know, a little bit worse off. So I realize he's 28 going on 29 here, and you're right. There's a ton to be saved. How about we just take that $16 million that could be saved and make it a signing bonus and just tack on two years here? and keep this guy in the system for a couple more seasons because it's obviously working with Trevor Lawrence. There's certainly a cheaper way to do this, you know, to go younger through the draft. Uh, and they do have a bunch of first, second-round picks on that offensive line right now. I'm just going to I'm just gonna say they continue to do this with him, even through the suspensions. So why not just tack on some money, lower his cap hit that way, and keep him rostered through 2025 or six? Who are some of the guys that could be cut that would save the Jaguars a lot of money? 
Yeah, I've got uh, Rayshon Jenkins. I've got Zay Jones as a candidate here. There's not too many, honestly. This is not a situation where you, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, so we'll see what happens in terms of that defensive line because I think there's some names that could come off the roster there. But for the most part, uh, you mentioned they've got a little bit of cap space. In terms of the rest of the league, I think they're in excellent shape, quite frankly. Uh, so they do have some room to maybe front load some situations. And I have more extensions than I have releases in, in terms of way to, to clear cap space, right? Let's extend Darius Williams. Let's extend Cam Robinson if possible. Um, and like I said, Zay Jones and, and, and Jenkins free up about 10 million right there. But this is not a cap situation that I would consider dire by any means because you can simply just use cap conversions and restructures to get yourself into a nice and safe landing spot for, for March and, Mar- and April. I'm going to ask you to be Nostradamus here in a second. Before I do that, though, you're certainly the guy to ask. Again, Mike Janetti, the founder of Spot Track. People talk about the salary cap and people mm-hmm. talk about, well, the cap doesn't exist. You know, it's all liquid cash. What do people mean by that, Mike? I mean, the salary cap obviously does exist, but obviously people finagle it all the time. Yeah, let me give you a really good example here. So so let's use Cam Robinson right now as the example I just gave you, right? He's got a $16 million salary, base salary. So that's basically what his paycheck will be for 2024 if he stays on this contract. So that is cap that hits in 2024, right? It's a salary that's going to be paid up. If they instead give him a signing bonus, right and hand him that money up front they can spread it over five years from a cap standpoint and free up 13 12 million by doing that so that's essentially what i'm saying they should do and uh, extend on a couple years that's why the cap seems fake right because it it is in it is running parallel to cash yes cash gets paid but you can finagle cap over a bunch of years maximum five years to make it work for you in the current year so it seems like it's not real it is real right all 16 million of that signing bonus eventually has to hit the Jaguars cap. And that's what dead cap is essentially. But instead of taking it all right now, let's spread it out and make it a little easier on us in 2024. You know, I think it's really interesting too, because again, you're the main guy in this space and that's why we love having you on. And you're the first guy that I've heard from that said, you don't think the Jaguars are going to be active in releasing guys. You say maybe Zay Jones, maybe Ray Sean Jenkins. I think Jaguar fans hearing that tonight probably a little excited about that because the thought here was they were going to have to release maybe Sheriff, uh, Cam Robinson, Fadakasi. Mm-hmm. There were going to be a lot of guys maybe let go. You don't necessarily see it that way. I don't. This isn't an organization that is using void years right now, which helps your cap situation uh, immensely. And a lot, a lot of franchises are doing that really to the nth degree. So if they're willing to go that route and really start converting some of these salaries, like I just mentioned with Robinson into signing bonuses, you can free up, just looking here quickly, you've got four or five base salaries north of $10 million. You can free yourself up probably $30 million of cap space by just keeping guys on the roster and converting their salaries to signing bonuses. So I think that's probably the direction you go. Now, look, I'm not in that locker room. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with a few of these position groups that falter down the stretch here, like we mentioned at the top. But uh, from a, just from a numbers accounting standpoint, I could get myself comfortably into $35 million of cap space for March 13th with just this roster in tow and maybe a couple of those players falling off like we mentioned. Mike, final question. And again, we're asking you to predict the future here, so we certainly understand that. But you say the Jaguars are in reasonably good, if not great, cap space compared to the rest of the league. Does that anticipate you that or tell you that they're going to be active when free agency begins? Yeah, I would think so. But active could mean keeping their own right maybe these extensions we're talking about get done and get done in a big way in 2024 so that so that they actually save themselves from cap situations 
down the line. I don't expect that's how it's going to be. I do think there's going to have to be some uh, addition by subtraction and addition by addition to kind of make up for what we saw happen in 2023. But certainly if they want to go out and make a splash, and whether that's depth for that defense or one big name, maybe offensively speaking, which I think is necessary here, they're going to have the space to do it. They can open up an ample amount of cap space to make a max contract if you want to bring like a basketball situation into this. Uh, and there's not many teams that will have that ability on March 13th. So it's a good team. It's a team in contention in the AFC. They've got a quarterback that I think a lot of weapons would, would want to join. So it's attractive, and uh, they will have the cap assets to do it. So I, I expect some sort of activity, uh, but certainly there'll be teams going out there with uh, with much more at, ammo at their at their asset here. Very interesting. Mike Gennetti of Spot Track. Mike, leave us with this. Tell the good folks here in Jacksonville again about your website and what they can anticipate when they head over there. Yeah, we just completed an entire off-season series discussing all the stuff, extension candidates and roster bubble players and ways to clear cap space for every single team in the NFL. That's live on SpotTrack.com and uh, plenty more to come as well at SpotTrack on Twitter if you have any questions about any of this stuff. We love it. SpotTrack is a valuable resource. Mike Gennetti does a terrific job. Mike, thank you as always, brother. We'll do it again soon. Anytime. Thank you. There you go, Mike Gennetti of SpotTrack. I thought a couple of things that he said were really interesting. You know, the thought around here is that there's going to be a mass exodus. They're going to release a lot of guys to save money, and they may, right? I mean, Gennetti's word is not gospel, but from a salary point of view, right, a salary cap savings point of view, he said that doesn't necessarily need to happen if you want to keep these guys like Cam Robinson. There are certainly ways to keep Cam where it's not just a drastic hit against the cap. There are ways to keep guys like Darius Williams where it's not such a drastic hit against the cap. Now, some of you might want Darius Williams on down the road or even Cam Robinson on down the road. I just thought it was interesting that that doesn't necessarily need to happen for the Jaguars to be able to make a splash or two. What I did find fascinating as well, he has Josh Allen four years, $100 million, $25 million per. Denmark, you and I were talking before the show and again, who really knows at this point? They're all just monopoly numbers right now, but you don't think that would necessarily get it done, $25 million per year. No, if I'm Josh Allen's camp, if you look at the pass rushers that are making $25 million, if I'm in his camp, I'm saying I'm better than those guys. And I am I think the minimum for Josh Allen is $27 million a year. Now, how many years? You know, the guaranteed money. I think the, the minimum for Josh Allen, what he would want is $27 million per year. To me, if you don't if you don't sign Josh Allen, and if you have to franchise Josh Allen, which as of right now, the final day in January, there's about a month before the franchise tag can be placed on players, so we got about four weeks to discuss this, but it doesn't look like anything's going to happen as far as a re-signing. It looks like Josh Allen is destined for the franchise tag so the Jaguars can protect themselves and basically keep him off the open market. Does that mean you're saying goodbye to Calvin Ridley? Because keep in mind, if you sign Calvin Ridley to an extension, you owe the Falcons a second-round pick. In a perfect world, you would franchise Ridley because you already have a deal done with Allen, and then you simply would not sign Ridley till after the draft, which you would only owe Atlanta a third-round pick then and not a second. But if Ridley hits the market, and Michael Pittman is franchised in Indianapolis, and T. Higgins potentially franchised in Cincinnati, 
That would leave Mike Evans and Calvin Ridley as the two marquee free agent wide receivers. And Ridley obviously would be in high demand at that point. And if you do cut Zay Jones, as Mike Gennetti suggested, to save some money, and if you do lose Ridley, well, then all of a sudden, wide receiver becomes a pretty big priority for you. We talk about protecting Trevor Lawrence, and that, to me, is clearly the main deal. But you do need guys to get the ball to, right? I mean, if you lose Ridley and you cut Jones under this scenario, you would have Christian Kirk and a bunch of unproven guys. You would need to add one or even two reliable veteran caliber players at the wide receiver position. So it's a domino effect. What happens with Josh Allen will absolutely affect what happens on the offensive side of the ball for the Jaguars when it comes to free agency, player movement, and all that. It's interesting. We'll certainly keep you updated as far as anything that goes on. And I'm going to try to do that once or twice a week, leading into free agency on Monday night. March the 11th, bring you guys that do the salary cap, that do the decimal points, the the dead cap money. We're going to break it down. In fact, Brad Spielberger, pro football focus, he is their salary cap guy at PFF. He's going to join me, I believe, tomorrow night, and we'll kind of do something similar that we just did with Janetti from Spot Track to give you every angle we can leading into free agency for what should be a very active offseason for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Updating you in Rupp Arena, Kentucky's on a run. Florida hung out for a little bit, but two minutes to go in the first half. Kentucky now up 37-29 on the Gators. I was thinking there might be some good mojo. I believe it was 26 years ago tomorrow that Jason Williams and Billy Donovan went to Rupp Arena and beat the Kentucky Wildcats. Thinking maybe they could give the Gators some good vibes heading into the night, but Kentucky's on one of their runs. They're up eight on Florida, two minutes to go in the first half up at Rupp Arena. We will keep you updated. Coming up next, back into the world of the National Football League. Did you notice what happened yesterday in the NFL? A very interesting trend is starting in the NFL. Remember it was all about offense? Offense, offense, offense. Got to get the up-and-coming offensive guy. That did not happen this coaching cycle. Why is that? We'll talk about it next on Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Florida actually ended on a pretty good mark there at the first half of Rupp Arena. Kentucky up 5, 41-36 on the Gators at halftime. A couple of scores locally. How about my alma mater, the UNF Ospreys? They are about to finish off Lipscomb tonight. UNF about to go to 13-10 and 10 on the year, but more importantly, about to go to 6-2 and two in the Atlantic Sun. Keep in mind, 13-10, and 10, a majority of those losses were paycheck games for the Ospreys. Florida State, LSU, I think they played a couple of Big Ten teams, right? You got to do that if you're a program like UNF. But when you get into conference play, that's what really matters. And UNF up eight with 23 seconds to go over a decent Lipscomb team. And UNF on the verge of getting to six and two on the year in the Atlantic Sun. And keep in mind, in the A Sun, the better your record is, the more home games you get in the conference tournament. And UNF thus far is undefeated at home in conference play. So kudos to the Ospreys. Also, JU 
Looks like they're going to get a win tonight. They're up on Austin P late in the second half as well. So we'll keep you updated. A lot of good college basketball going on on this Wednesday evening. You know, for the last couple of years, really, yeah, I mean, at least the last couple of years, maybe longer than that, the coaching carousel in the National Football League was all about getting the young offensive coordinator, right? The up-and-comer that'll put points on the board. And you saw that with LaFleur in Green Bay and Taylor in Cincinnati. Obviously, McVay in L.A. And with good reason, right? I mean, those guys have been very, very successful in what they have done. Shanahan in San Francisco. But this time around here in 2023's offseason, now 2024, doesn't it seem like that's changed a little bit? I mean, think about the guys that have been hired. Brian Callahan got hired. He fits that criteria, right? Up-and-coming offensive guy. Went to went to, uh, to Tennessee. Carolina hired the coordinator in Tampa. Young up-and-coming offensive guy. But that's basically it. Gerard Mayo, former linebacker, gets promoted in New England. Antonio Pierce, former linebacker, gets the job with the Las Vegas Raiders. Today, Mike McDonald, defensive coordinator, Baltimore, gets a job in Seattle. Jim Harbaugh is an offensive guy, but he is by no means an up-and-comer. He's 60 years old, and he gets the job with the Chargers. Very interesting that we've seen over and over and over the young offensive coordinators jump right to the top of these lists, yet that has not been the case this offseason. And in fact, here we sit on the 31st day of January, it's going to be February in three hours. And the Washington Commanders still do not have a head coach. What's going on there? They're zeroing in on a couple of guys, but as of right now, they still do not have a head coach. And what's interesting, too, is Gerard Mayo is a prime example of this. You know, in college, we see the coach in waiting, right? Not so much anymore, but there was a time there. Bobby leaves, Jimbo gets the job. Other places around the, the country had their legend coach leave, and somebody on the staff got the job. You actually just saw it at Michigan. Harbaugh leaves, and Moore gets the job. I wonder if that'll be a thing in the NFL moving forward. Gerard Mayo steps right in for Belichick off the same staff. Antonio Pierce steps right in for McDaniels off the same staff. Interestingly enough, Ben Johnson, for the second year in a row, the offensive coordinator in Detroit, says thanks but no thanks to head coaching opportunities. He is going to remain in Detroit. Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator in Houston, had a bunch of interviews. Thanks, but no thanks. He signed a contract extension to remain as the offensive coordinator in Houston. I don't think you would have seen that a few years ago. You're seeing it now. Why is that? I don't know. How can you turn down head coaching opportunities? But some guys are. Ben Johnson, it's crazy. That's two years in a row. He could have hypothetically been having a head coaching gig in the NFL, and instead he has decided to stay there on Dan Campbell's staff with the Detroit Lions. One hour down, one hour to go, Jacksonville. We are with you until 10 o'clock tonight. We are glad you are with us. Coming up next, Mobile, Alabama, the Senior Bowl. 
Let's start talking a little draft. It's our first draft guest of the year. It's an emotional moment. My buddy Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft, the letter N, riseanddraft.com. We'll talk about this year's draft class, best positions, weakest positions, but I also want to talk about the young players on the Jaguars. I want to talk about Trayvon Walker and his future, Devin Lloyd and his future, Anton Harrison and his future, just to name a few. We'll do all that with a guy that's covered the draft for many years, Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com. He's next. Wednesday night edition, Hacker After Dark and Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The end of January, well, if you're good, you're still playing football. If you're like the Jaguars, you're getting ready for free agency and, of course, for the NFL draft. We are just over three months away. Mock drafts are beginning to come out basically every day now, and we need to take a good look ahead to what lies ahead in late April there in the NFL draft. With that, one of my guys when it comes to the draft is Ryan Roberts. He's joined me for years. Rise and draft, the letter N, rise and draft is where you find him, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Ryan, it's been a little while, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Like, like I kind of said, we were, uh, you know, just plugging along here, man, surviving a little bit. I hope you and uh, everybody over there is having a great new year so far as well. We were having a great new year until the Jaguars lost five out of their last six. Uh, yes. Just, you know, a broad overview, Ryan. I mean, what happened? I know you're you're more national, obviously. You have to look at every team. But when you think of yep. Jacksonville and the collapse, man, what were your thoughts? I mean, I, I really I, – I, I would love to have seen what would have happened if Trevor Lawrence never got hurt, to be honest with you. I, I really felt like in, it's never a one-person thing. It's never a one-identity thing. There's usually multiple parts to it. And, I mean, you would know a lot better as far as, like, the health and consistency of a player-to-player and position-to-position perspective. But it really just seemed like early on Jacksonville got off to a strong start and they were just winning football games. And it felt like Trevor Lawrence was kind of just continuing the – momentum he built down towards the stretch of 2022 and then once he got hurt he came I felt like he rushed back a little bit and then it just wasn't the same at that point you know they were they're, they're a team that I think offensive identity wise is is really focused on Trevor Lawrence making up for a lot of holes that might still be there you know particularly in the offensive line I think there's still a couple spots that you need to plug potentially but I just think that it's a it was a health thing of Trevor Lawrence maybe a slight identity issue I think that there's a lot of good young parts, though. So I think that, for me, Jacksonville can rebound very quickly because I do think that Doug Peterson runs a tight ship, and I do believe that he has a good program. He always does have a pretty good product for the most part. So I think they'll be able to re, re, you know, rebound pretty quickly there. But it really just felt like everything was kind of interlocked with the Trevor Lawrence injury, man. As soon as that happened, it just kind of felt like everything just kind of went stagnant and things just kind of went south pretty quickly. Yeah, it was a domino effect, no question about it. Amid the collapse there, Ryan, one of the positives, I guess, we could take out of it. Boy, the last six, seven weeks of the year, Trayvon Walker seemed to find himself a little bit. He ended up with 10 sacks, uh, three and a half his rookie year, 10 his second year. He affected the opposing quarterback a lot more. What are your thoughts about Trayvon Walker two years in? I mean, it was it was great to see the progression. I, I know when we talked about it, and you know, it was it was kind of. I, I feel like it was pretty common knowledge, Ryan. To be honest, like it was Trayvon Walker was not ready to be that guy as a rookie. Like he just wasn't, and everybody knew that. So when you watch this film at Georgia, you're like, "Hey, 
that length, that explosiveness, that power profile, that's really cool, right? Like when you and when you get the best out of that, he's potentially be a very good football player, but he wasn't overly productive at Georgia. He was a raw football player. He was a traitsy kid that the reason that the Jacksonville drafted him the the, the spot that they did was because of the upside. And because you could see it, right? Like it doesn't take a it doesn't take a rocket science, it doesn't take a good scout even necessarily to look at Trayvon Walker and be like, hey man, if that stuff hits that's going to be a really good football player. And I think that down the stretch, you start to see him start to figure it out. Trayvon Walker was always going to be a year two, year three, year four guy in a rookie contract. He was never going to be a year one guy. So it was great to see the developments. I think it always obviously also helps that you have a guy like Josh Allen, who is a tremendous pass rusher on the other side to take a little bit of attention away from him. But I just think that he's starting to tap into his physical gifts, which were always there. It was just about, Remaining patience. You know, he wasn't going to be a you – could, you couldn't call him a bust as a rookie because he did exactly what I thought he was going to do as a rookie. He was going to show flashes at times, but he was going to struggle with consistency. Year two was a lot better than year one, and I imagine year three will be a lot better than year two. Ryan Roberts does a terrific job covering the draft. Rise and draft, the letter N, riseanddraft.com is where you find his terrific work. All right, really quick to Devin Lloyd, kind of the same thing, right? He was in the Trayvon Walker draft. He did not flourish at the end of the year like Trayvon did. Do you have questions about Devin Lloyd as we enter year three? I mean, it's got to be a little bit of a make or break year. I mean, the progression of a football player is not linear. Like, there's a lot of guys that develop on different, you know, completely different planes. But the thing about Devin Lloyd was Devin Lloyd was a little bit of an older prospect. Like, he was a true senior when he came out. He wasn't a guy like a Trayvon Walker where you said, you know, that guy needs a couple years. Devin was kind of thought of as a guy that immediately should be able to upgrade. And I know that he's obviously had his struggles the last couple of years. Year three is going to be a big one, man, because he is a kid that has all the tools. I mean, you can't teach the length he has, has good range on the second level. When he's at his best, he is a little bit of a playmaker. He makes, seems to make some big plays in spurts. But the consistency on a snap-to-snap basis obviously has not been good with Jacksonville so far. So year three, I think, is going to be a make-or-break year for for Devin in that sense. You know, you look back to last year's draft now, Ryan, and, and it was a lot of nothing, quite frankly, with the exception of Anton Harrison. If there was a better rookie tackle in 2023 in the NFL, I'm not sure I saw him. I thought the Jaguars at pick 27, I think it was, got absolutely yeah. terrific value with Anton Harrison. And they needed to, right? Because you knew that you knew that that spot, Jacksonville was in a situation where they needed to hit on an offensive tackle. And I'll be very honest. You know, we have to be honest with ourselves about our evaluations. I wasn't the biggest Anton Harrison fan of all time. I wasn't. I thought that he was going to be a guy, similar to what we just said about Trayvon Walker, I thought that he was going to be a, a guy that needed a little bit of time because there was still some core strength development that needed to happen. There were still some technical issues with footwork and you know, replacing hands and pass sets. There were still some things that I had questions upon, but, I mean, hats off to the kid. He landed in a good situation, obviously, and he outplayed even what I thought he could be as a rookie. So, I mean, if we're talking about projection, I thought that he would be much better. Again, same thing, like year two, year three was kind of where he would kind of hit his peak a little bit. So I think that we're, if we're talking about a guy that got off to a really strong start in year one, you feel really happy about what the future of Anton Harrison can be. He's on a rookie deal, which means he's cheap. Cam Robinson's yeah. going to cost an awful lot of money this year. There's at least a thought down here, one that I happen to agree with, that if Cam were to exit, do you see what Anton can do at left tackle? Because that's yes. where he played at Oklahoma. What are your thoughts there? 
Yeah, he always had the traits to play left tackle in the NFL level. He's got the length. He's got the requisite foot quickness. I mean, he was a 34-plus-inch arm guy. He can play outside of his frame really well. He's got quick feet. So, yes, I actually thought he was a more natural left tackle than he would be at right tackle. So I think that is a move that makes complete sense. Ryan Roberts, riseandraft.com. The rest of the draft last year, Ryan, well, quite frankly, it left a lot to be desired. We'll begin with Brenton Strange. I remember talking to you after the draft, and I was totally honest. Dave Campo, the former Dallas head coach, and I were on that Friday night of round two, and when the Jaguars drafted Brenton Strange, I had no idea who the, who he was. Uh, and I had talked <laughs> to you for three months, and we never once brought up Brenton Strange. Now, he did yep. some nice things in training camp, and I liked the kid. I interviewed him a bunch. I mean, I mean this is nothing personal, but for a second-round pick, he battled injuries and – quite frankly, just didn't do very much in 2023. Yeah, he was overdrafted. And I, I forget if I if you had me on after that pick, but like he, he just was. There were better tight ends that were on the board at that point. I felt like Jacksonville just kind of wanted to find a specific type of tight end in that spot. Because with obviously with Evan Ingram, who's much more of the flex style movement-based tight ends, Brenton Strange, at least at Penn State, was a guy that could do a little bit of the dirty work. He was a pretty good blocker. You can get him on the move in that in that capacity. And, I mean, he was one of the better attached blockers in the draft, and he could also play a little H for you as well and move him in that way and have him block on the move. But I, I just think that he was a little bit overdrafted. It was a weird tight end group uh, last year, to be honest with you, especially on day two, because I think back to, I mean, Dallas Cowboys also made a little bit of a blunder drafting Luke Schoomaker instead of drafting Tucker Kraft in, in the second round as well. So, for whatever reason, there was a value on – a couple tight ends in the second round last year that were more of the blocking types. Um, and I think that I think Jacksonville just probably took the wrong guy in the wrong slot. Doesn't mean that Brenton Strange can't end up being a very solid football player for you, especially part of a tandem with an Evan Ingram. But obviously he you he he just doesn't have a ton of upside from a pass game perspective. I don't know if he'll ever give you production in the passing game that is going to get you overly excited. I think that he can be ideally a really good tight end two in a two tight end set that has blocking upside potentially. You know, I'm never going to be confused for an NFL general manager. I talk on the microphone every day here in Jacksonville, and I talk to people that cover players the Jaguars draft. And I talked to a bunch of people at Auburn last year after the Jaguars took Tank Bigsby, and they said all the right things. Great guy, will be good in the locker room, but he's a fumbler. I mean, the guy fumbles. Yep. And he comes yep. to Jacksonville, Ryan – and he fumbles, all right? So what I was told beforehand is spot on with Tank Bigsby. How much of a problem is that moving forward? I mean, it, 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 it's just not sustainable as a backup running back, right? I mean, if you're talking about a guy that – because when you're talking about a depth piece to a running back room, because obviously he's not going to be running back one over Travis Etienne, like that's just not going to happen, obviously in the near future anyway. You need to be a guy that has dependability. You know, you're going to have to play – on third downs at times, pass block, you're going to have to protect the football. You're probably going to play some special teams on coverage units. You're, you have a little bit of that capacity of safety to you. So if I'm talking about a depth running back that has struggled with ball security, eh, it's not great. I mean, it's, it's not great. It's not, it's not a good scenario to be in. It's not a good situation to be in. I really like Tank Bigsby, the natural runner. I think that he runs with great balance. He's pretty physical, pretty explosive in short areas. But as you said, if you're not able to protect the football as a depth piece in the running back room, there's a limited role to how you can help a football team. 
I think Tank Bigsby might have fumbled more than he got first down carries. And I think Ooh. Brenton Strange might have had more holding penalties than he had catches. So that's what the Jaguars got out of their second and third rounders. Uh, final moments, Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com. We will get to this year's class in a moment. One final thought on the Jaguars. For what they lacked in rounds two and three, I thought there were glimpses in rounds five and six. Parker Washington, I thought, showed some glimpses when he got in there when Christian Kirk got hurt. And I'm very yeah. intrigued by Antonio Johnson moving forward. Well, I, I loved Antonio Johnson. I had a uh, mid, mid to late day two grade on him, like a late second, early third rounds. I really liked Antonio Johnson, the, the athletes. I think that Texas A&M did him a little bit of a disservice in college because he was a player that safety by trade, but he had played nickel exclusively for his last two years and for his entire years of starting at Texas A&M. So I think that they did him a little bit of a disservice. I think it's gonna it's gonna take some time for him to just kind of get that instinctual side of the game from just playing a true safety position. But he's a smooth athlete. He has good length, pretty explosive in tight areas. I liked Antonio Johnson a ton. So I would be excited about him without question. And then Parker Washington, like you said, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a clunky fit as far as he does kind of bring you the same attributes that a Christian Kirk does bring to the field. So there's gonna be a little bit of a maybe hindrance of getting him a ton of reps all the time. But he was a tough kid at Penn State, man, and he was pretty physical despite being a little bit smaller, a little bit diminutive. But he has really smooth athleticism. As he harnesses his his route running ability, I think that he could be a, a nice quality depth piece to the wide receiver room. All right, Ryan, as we take a look now at what you've been working on, I'm sure, for almost a year, and that is the class of 2024. Broad overview, yes. in totality, how would you – assess the class, positions of strength, positions of weakness? Yeah, I, I really like the the top level of this class. I think that first round conversation is going to be really nice it, comparative to uh, last year was okay. The year before, though, like you were just – actually, no, last year was the one where you were just – at the end of the first round, I mean, you're just drafting day two players. Like, it just did not have the depth. I think I only had like 13 or 14 first-round grades in the 2023 NFL draft. This year – I think I'm going to have like 19 or 20. So the depth uh, or the top level depth, I think is a lot better than it was last year. Comparatively. I would also say that the depth as a whole though, it, it's not the best that it's been. I mean, there's been a couple years recently where you've had a lot more players of a pool to pull from. I, I think that Jim Nagy, the director of the senior bowl, had even said something about this on Twitter the other day, but we'd only had 50 something players that I think declared early for the draft because of, of, I mean, one is, you know, the, the COVID year is still in effect a little bit from guys going back for eligibility purposes. But the other side of it is that with the NIL stuff the way it is now, I mean, there's some players that are just in a better situation to return to school than try to chase the money leaving early, potentially. So I think it's a little bit of a smaller class from a volume perspective. I like the top, though. And if you if, if you need offensive tackles this year, you're in a really good spot. If you need corners, depth of the cornerback position, I think is really good. If you need edge players, I think it's a really good year. And then wide receivers is another one that pops in my mind as far as like that is a really good year to need those types of players. Ryan Roberts, riseanddraft.com. Ryan, we'll hopefully have you on in a couple of weeks as we get past the Senior Bowl towards the Combine. But here in Jacksonville, look, I don't need glamorous. I don't need the no. sexy pick that will sell season tickets. I need 320-pound big uglies on the interior of the defensive line and the interior of the offensive line. Sitting at 17 and where the Jaguars are, I believe, at 49 in round two, can I find some big uglies there in the middle of the lines of scrimmage? 
Oh, you can. You can. I think that offensive line-wise, Troy Fontanu out of Washington is a guy that I love. I have a clear first-round grade on him. He played left tackle at Washington, but he is a he's a 6'3 and like 7'8 kid that is that weighed in 319 pounds in the spring, has 34-plus-inch arms. But he is a really good player that I think could play center. I think he could play both guard spots. I think he could even play tackle in the specific system. But regardless, he's one of the high-level players in this class. I think you can get him right there at 17 potentially. There might be a guy like Jerzon Newton in the class out of Illinois. He's a little bit of a sawed-off 300-pounder, but that kid is explosive, strong, plays with low center of gravity, really impressive football player overall. And then I love the day-two run potentially on defensive tackles. I mean, guys like Arukororo out of Clemson, guys like Keith Randolph Jr. out of out of um, out of Illinois. Like, there's a ton of guys defensively that I think you have a nice run on interior defensive linemen. But interior offensive linemen, I think especially Troy Fontano in the first round. And then when you start, if you need a center specifically, I think there's going to be a nice day two run on centers with guys like Zach Frazier and maybe Jackson Powers Johnson out of Oregon as well. He's one of the best. Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft. The letter N, Rise and Draft. It's his time of year. We're about 90 days out from the NFL draft. Ryan, I know you're busy, man. Thank you, as always, for the time. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks. Absolutely, brother. Thank you, as always. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 58 is set. San Francisco and Kansas City next Sunday in Las Vegas, Nevada. Obviously, Championship Sunday, two really good football games. And there's certainly still a lot going on with the hometown Jacksonville Jaguars. With all that being said, let me welcome in my buddy Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jaguars. You hear him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how we doing? I'm doing great, bro. Leon, appreciate the time, man. Let's rewind back to Sunday. Kansas City did it again. And and let's begin with Baltimore first because we'll have more time to talk about KC. Leon, you've been a part of championship losses, unfortunately. We talked about that last week. I think Baltimore is going to be kicking themselves, man, to shut out Kansas City in the second half and yet to still lose the game. That had to be a bitter, bitter pill to swallow. It was. It was. I mean, listen. The most. Listen. I. I truly believe that the Baltimore Ravens had the better team all season long, but it really doesn't matter once you get in the postseason and, and year after year. It doesn't matter how badly or how poorly the Kansas City Chiefs looked during the regular season. I mean, I don't want to say they played poorly, but they weren't the juggernaut that we used to seeing over the last couple of years. But when they get in the postseason, they just having to have a guy named Patrick Mahomes who finds a way to win ball games. And I think the Baltimore Ravens did themselves a disservice because they did absolutely nothing that they did during the whole regular season. I mean, they dropped back past 82% of the time when they were a run team, play action team, and, and take a shot down the field team. So their styles are fights. I don't know why they wanted to be Ali when they were Frazier the whole season. They mucked up games. They beat up opponents, running the ball, being physical, play action. I mean, their their running backs literally only had six touches the whole game, six touches the whole freaking game, and that's not how they equipped to play teams or beat teams. Even when they played us in Jacksonville, I'm watching the game on TV inside the inside the club seats, and and John Harbaugh they asked him a question at halftime, coming out of halftime, say, hey, what what do we we need to get back to playing Ravens football, which is running the football, and for the most part in that game, unfortunately, they didn't get it done. 
and they lost. They lost to the. They had a. They had a prime opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, but they they had an identity crisis when they played the Kansas City Chiefs. Leon, does that loss affect your thoughts on Lamar Jackson moving forward? Well, I listen. Uh, it, it has to. It has to, fairly or unfairly, it has to. He has to be effectively put into that bunch of guys who who haven't been able to get it done. I mean, you're talking about the Dak Prescott, you're talking about the Tua's, you're talking about the Kirk Cousins. I mean, he's got it. You got you're talking about the Justin Herberts, all this amazing talent that they have and around them, and they haven't gotten it done. So whether it's fair or unfair, it's just. Because until he the narrative, but see that's the price you pay for being great. When you're great, we want to see you even be greater, and especially at the quarterback position. Is Lamar Jackson great? Absolutely, but to be greater is for him to step across that threshold and ultimately get to a Super Bowl and win it. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy. Leon, we'll do more of this next week. But what can you really say about Kansas City at this point, man? I mean, you played over a decade in this league. You played in a Super Bowl. I mean, you know what it takes to get there, and they do it year in and year out, man. It, it's, it's unbelievable. It, it absolutely is unbelievable. You're talking about you're talking about an organization, a franchise that have gone to six AFC championship games. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, people. I don't think people. I don't think people are sitting back and marveling at that, and they should because I'm telling you. I played, in, I played in the NFL 11 years, and I made it to four championships. And I'm telling you, it's hard to get there. A lot's got to happen for you. you got to be lucky. you got to be healthy. You got your quarterback, the guys that keep positions. I mean, Kansas City, uh, listen, we talk about them throughout the regular season, and they may not look as, as formidable as we've used to seeing them. But, you know, when it comes to clutch time, they get it done. I mean, this Kansas City team, everybody was talking about, well, you know, it's going to be difficult now because they're not at home. And they, when they're not at home, they may not be as good. Man, they went into Buffalo and beat Buffalo in Buffalo, which is hard. And then they went into Baltimore and beat Baltimore in Baltimore, which is e- even more extremely hard to do. So this franchise, this organization, this coaching staff, these players, man, they're going to be something that you're going to have to deal with for, for the next decade or so because I don't think they're going anywhere. You've played for some ridiculous head coaches, from Jimmy Johnson in college, Dennis Erickson, let's give him a little bit of credit, and then obviously Bill Cowher and Tom Coughlin in the National Football League. I mean, Hall of Fame coaches. And when you see Andy Reid and the job that he did not only in Philly, but obviously what he's done in KC, I think, Leon, if they win the game next Sunday, there's going to be a legitimate argument. Is Andy Reid the best coach in the history of the NFL? He has to be. I mean, I, 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 I was pulling up his information just a couple of days ago, and this man, over his 25-year career, he's been in half half the playoffs in his 25 career. I mean, he he he's done a phenomenal job. I mean, not more more than half the playoffs. I think he's been in at least what 12 championship games over his career as a as a coach. I mean, I, well, I'm not well. He went six with with Kansas City and four with Philly, so that's ten. So, um, yeah, but yeah. Andrew is going to go down as one of the all-time great coaches, man. He has to. I mean, because the 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 just the 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 offensive genius itself is something that's uh, not since the the West Coast offense have I seen a quarterback in a system dominate a league like none other. I remember when Bill Walsh first came into the league, he had that West Coast offense. He had Joe Montana and all these different weapons that he had assembled. 
uh, across the board, and he just took the NFL by storm. Andy Reid and, and Patrick Mahomes is doing stuff that's not supposed to be done in the NFL. They're supposed to be parody in the NFL. They're supposed to be teams that come in and come out. Over this six-year span, they go to six AFC championships in a row and go into your what? What is this, his fourth Super Bowl? Third, no, third Super Bowl. He's going to his third Super Bowl, man. This And and, and, and Patrick Mahomes is, is, is still relatively young. For the next decade or so, if this guy stays healthy, there's no telling what he could do in the record books. It's absolutely incredible what Kansas City has done, and they don't look like they're slowing down anytime soon. A couple of more for Leon Searcy. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, the NFC Championship game. I love everything about Dan Campbell. I think Dan Campbell is is great for the NFL. I'd love to have a beer with him and just talk football with the guy all day long. I thought he had an atrocious NFC Championship game. To turn down those field goals, Leon, uh, to me, was was indefensible. Well, it was reckless. Uh, you know, it, it was reckless by a coach. And, I mean, I felt for the guy, especially when I saw him at the presser. He was devastated. I mean, he was absolutely devastated. You could tell he had been crying for a very, very long time before he even got to that presser. And you love to see that by your coach. I mean, you love to see those kinds of emotion because I'm sure that that was the same thing that was happening inside that locker room. I remember that every RSC championship game we lost, and I was playing with me. I was heartbroken. It took me weeks or maybe months to get to get over it because that stigma of knowing that you were that close to go to a Super Bowl and then to have to watch the team that beat you playing the Super Bowl, man, it's heart wrenching. So, I mean, but I mean, people are, are criticizing for for being who he's been, you know, over the course of the season. You know, when it's fourth and three or shorter, he's he's converted eighty percent of the time. And he felt the need to be aggressive at that particular time, and, and then he put it in his players. I mean, listen, if you, if the if the guy Reynolds catches that ball, there were two balls that he should have caught. I mean, we're having a whole different conversation. You know, the difference between going up twenty-seven to seven or going up, well, it was twenty-four-seven. Uh, I mean, it would have been twenty-seven to seven or going up thirty-one-seven. I mean, you know. I, I I I see what he was doing. He was trying to put the foot on the gas and put this team away. He ultimately had the opportunity to do that, but essentially, you missed the field goal that led to a, let that led to a, a lucky catch by a coup, and then to the next series to have the running back fumble the ball. And this thing, you know, it's a tie game, man. That's 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 the NFL. That's how momentum swifts. That's how quick it changes. And so, ultimately, it's like the butterfly effect. You know, not kicking that field goal led to the dismantling of your team over the course of the next two series. Well, and you tell me, Leon. I mean, maybe I'm just media guy talking out of turn here, but you're right. He went for a lot on fourth and three or shorter. There's a difference between going for it on fourth and three week eight against Atlanta as opposed to the NFC championship game for a right to go to the Super Bowl, right? I mean, don't you have to, to coach yeah. those a little differently? I, I I absolutely agree with you, but I, I don't think Dan Campbell thinks like that. I I, I don't think they uh, within that moment and in that time, you know, he's looking at you, you and I look at it as like as the NFC championship game. He looks at it like it's just another game we need to win. I, although the magnitude is much greater and is much greater and much more profound than the regular season, I don't think he thinks that way. I think he thinks that listen. I've been doing this all season long. It's been working out for me, and we're put in a position where we can 
close the door on the 49ers. A field goal would help, but a touchdown would, would wipe the slate, uh, wipe the 49ers off the slate. I think that's how he was thinking. Leon, we'll get more into San Francisco next week when we preview the game, but quickly, a guy that I have no doubt you certainly respect is going to his first Super Bowl, and that's Trent Williams. You know, we talk about the great offensive tackles. Trent Williams is going to be in Canton, Ohio one day, 14 years into the league, and he finally is going to get to play in his first Super Bowl. I mean, it's great. I mean, over the last 20 years, there's, there's actually two tackles that I think are the greatest that I've probably seen over the last 20 years, and that's Trent Williams and that's Joe Thomas. And I, I think Joe Thomas may have played in one playoff game in his whole career with the Cleveland Browns. I'm not sure. I think you're right about that, yeah. Yeah, he's probably only played in one playoff game in his whole career with the Cleveland Browns. Just think about that. They've been they've been obscure for so long, and he's been so great at that position to only one play one playoff game. And, and now Trent Williams, you're talking about one of the all-time greats. I mean, those two guys are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers, and they have an opportunity to play in your first Super Bowl, you know, you, you you cherish it. I, I think that when I when I played in my first Super Bowl with the Steelers, I was still relatively young and naive, thinking that, you know, I was going to be back and I was going to be back, you know, I was going to be back, but it never happened. So when you get that opportunity to play in the Super Bowl, Bowl you definitely make the most out of it and play your best game. And I can honestly sit here and tell you that my Super Bowl 30, I didn't play my best game. And that was unfortunate, and I feel bad to this day and wrote a letter to Bill Cowher about it because I didn't play my best game. When he ultimately won his Super Bowl, I wrote him a letter apologizing for my play because I was young and naive and didn't didn't, didn't say I didn't prepare like I should have, but I just didn't play the physicality that I was used to being. Wow. Did you guys have a week off between championship game and Super Bowl, or was it seven days? No, it was seven days. I mean, was, we didn't have the like the two weeks off like they have now. As soon as our AFC Championship game was over that Sunday, uh, we were preparing for to go to the Super Bowl in Arizona. Wow. Now, do you like the fact that they have a week off now? Um, yeah. I mean, well, I understand why they have an extra week. I mean, because you know you, they're going to make more money. You're going to ger- generate more revenue. Uh, the more leading up to the the actual event so yeah it's a money maker you know um i don't know how players feel about it i i know some players you know enjoy the rest time enjoy you know the accolades that they're going to get because they went to the super bowl uh me i kind of felt like i wanted to play it you know as soon as we won that championship game man against the Colts and jim harbaugh i was ready to rock and roll so i, I it's it, it just depends. I mean, it's, we we were a different era. I mean, this era here is all about you know the sports and entertainment aspect of football and generating as much revenue as possible. And I think that was a little bit more football related because uh, they wanted to get the you know get it in and get it out and, and you know get guys to plan because guys were anxious about playing in the game. Leon, we got two minutes, man. Final question. I have I haven't talked to you since Trent Balky had his press conference last week. Uh, I think a lot of questions are coming out of that press conference. What were your thoughts on what Balky had to say? Well, I mean, um, he was uh, captain obvious on some of the stuff that he was saying about this team's got to be get bigger, stronger, and faster. Duh. I mean, uh, this team uh, down this this team needs to 
have the mental aptitude to play football games. I've never listen. I've never seen a team that had everything going for them. They didn't they didn't cement the fortitude to figure out a way to win one freaking game. This team was eight and three, and they couldn't find a way to win one game. That that baffles me. Now the Panthers don't count. Like, the Panthers were terrible. Okay, the they're Panthers the equivalent of a high school team. I agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they they don't count. I'm talking about down the stretch. I'm talking about the games that you needed to win, the, the Bengals game, the Cleveland game, the Raven game, the Titan game. I'm talking about those games. Those games are real significant. Even the, the Titans game is the one that was more disheartening to me than anything else. To see this team fold this tent, absolutely fold this tent, defensively and offensively. Couldn't run the ball, couldn't stop the run. I mean, it, 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 Tandy Hill goes out there and lights them up. You know, and then then the the quarterback sneak. I mean, that was just all that was just a travesty, absolute travesty. And um, everybody in that locker room. I mean, listen, this is an organizational failure uh, from the top to bottom. So, I mean, what Trent said about you know the team has to get bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah, I mean, it has to be developed too. Uh, you got they got to do a better job of evaluating talent and developing that talent. I mean, why is it that every other team in the NFL can go and get a guy in the fifth or sixth round and plug and play him when when your starter goes down, a la Kansas City, their left guard, Tooney goes down, and then the guy who was a, what, sixth or seventh round pick offensive lineman, left guard, goes in the game, and they don't miss a beat. I mean, why is it that every other team can do that when we got rookies, we got rookies from the second, third, fourth, sixth, seventh rounds, don't even touch the field? We got to tie it in. They got more penalties and catches. You Tank, got, you I think Tank Bigsby's fumbled the ball more than he had first it, down carries. It, exactly. Yeah. I mean, come on now. I mean, that's just that's an indictment on that's an indictment on on Balky as well. I mean, but to be fair, he's had good draft picks that we can name that he's come through. I mean, they have shine. But far too often, uh, a lot of these guys don't even hit the field and have no no. If you got guys that you're drafting, they're not impactful on the team. Uh, in any capacity, whether it be special team, offense, defense, or whatever, man, that 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 can cripple and that can that can buckle your team down the stretch. I know you're busy. I know we got to get you out of here real quick. They said they had not begun negotiations with Josh Allen yet. I thought that was very weird and very odd that he went public with that. If they franchise Josh Allen, is that going to be a problem for Allen's reps? And could there could that be sticky as we get further in the off season? Well, well, the, well. For, for first and foremost, he's lying. Uh, <laughs> Josh Allen and them probably began the start of the season, the middle of the season, the end of the season gave him a number. Now, whether he's looked at that number and um, complied with an answer is totally up to him. But I've this I've had an agent who's still in the business. When I was a free agent, he sent them a number. He's a, he, my a, Josh Allen has sent Bulky a number, and Bulky's refusing to answer to that number. He's trying, he's trying to give a rebuttal to whatever Josh Allen and his agent have asked for. Just say that you haven't answered him. Just don't say that you haven't heard from him because I'm pretty damn sure his agent has reached out to him on numerous occasions, especially before the season, the middle of the season, and at the end of the season. Whether he's complied to it or not is that's the big question. 
That'll certainly be one to follow as the franchise tag can start being handed out in less than a month. Leon Searcy, you get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, I know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time. We'll preview the Super Bowl next week. You got it, bro. And thank you to my buddy Leon Searcy for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Of course, you get Leon every day on primetime, and you get him weekly right here on HAD. My big takeaway of the evening here on Hacker After Dark, well, it's interesting in that we had Mike Gennetti on earlier from Spot Track, and again, Spot Track is one of those websites that you really go to uh, pretty frequently this time of year. They're all about the salary cap, about money that can be saved by cutting certain players, contract projections, heading into free agency, and I thought it was really interesting in talking to Mike. The common thought around the Jaguars, and I share this thought, actually, is that they're going to cut a lot of guys in order to save some money. And they still might do that, right? I mean, they're they're still very likely to do some of that. But according to Mike, who, again, is the founder and owner of SpotTrack, I mean, that's all they do on this website is salary analysis in the world of sports. He thinks guys like Rayshon Jenkins and Zay Jones – may fit that bill, but he's not so sure how much cutting they're going to do. If they restructure, move contracts outward, or just pay signing bonuses up front, they're going to be able to save a lot of that money and all of a sudden clear $15, $20, 25000000 million in cap room to where the Jaguars potentially could make a splash or two uh, in free agency. I also thought it was interesting. He thinks Josh Allen is a four-year $100 million man, roughly in that $25 million a year ballpark. Uh, Calvin Ridley, he's not too sure. Again, the thing with Ridley that we have to watch around the league, Michael Pittman Jr., T. Higgins, Mike Evans are all scheduled to be unrestricted free agents as well. Will those guys get franchised? Uh, Mike thinks that Pittman will in Indianapolis. T. Higgins, we don't know. Mike Evans, probably not, but if any of those guys come off the board with franchise tags, then Calvin Ridley will get higher and higher as a priority in free agency. And as far as Trevor Lawrence goes, again, it depends who you talk to, but the founder of Spot Track said he would slow play it a little bit. And Trevor and his reps may not like that, but he's not sure about paying Lawrence after year three, year three the way Herbert got paid in L.A. last year and the way Joe Burrow got paid in Cincinnati last year, both after their third seasons in the league. So I thought it was a really good conversation. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Mike Gennetti of Spot Track. If you missed any of that, you head on over to 1010XL.com's On Demand, and you can catch it right there. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very, very busy Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL. And on 92.5 FM, we have a ton of people to thank. Again, my buddy Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Really enjoyed talking championship Sunday fallout and Jaguars with Leon as we get him here every week. Thank you again to Mike Gennetti of Spot Track, the owner and founder of Spot Track. Always appreciate Mike taking time out for us here on Hacker After Dark in Jacksonville. And thank you to my buddy Ryan Roberts, Rise and Draft, the letter N, riseanddraft.com, as we now begin focusing 
on the draft. Obviously, the Senior Bowl is going on out in Mobile, Alabama, so we appreciate Ryan taking time out for us this evening here on 1010XL. We will be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Thursday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.